I want to start with a story because we did something that we've never done before. We went on vacation a couple weeks ago down to Mexico, and this was a different vacation because it wasn't just me and Steph and the kids. We actually took Hallie's boyfriend and Hudson's girlfriend. So our family's getting a little older, and man, I, I, we talked to different people. So many families were like, oh, no, we wouldn't want to do that. We don't want to share our kids with anyone. We're like, hey, man, I mean, they're, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. We want them and our family, you know. We want to influence them. And, and um, I, I, I knew it was right when we went out surfing. And we went out to this point break, this, this, great, uh, this great peeling wave. And it, was, it looked about shoulder high, the wave. And... We get out there, and this massive set comes in, like several feet over, overhead. And uh, me and Hudson, my oldest son, we surf a lot. Joshua doesn't surf as much, although he, he totally can. But we have him on, a, on an old foamy, and the wave, so we, we're paddling as fast as we can to get out there, and then a massive set comes in, and, and he's just caught right under the wave, and it hits him and strips the board, like pulls the leash off of his foot, and we're way out. It's a reef break. We are way out. And the board just gets washed in. And Joshua pops up. And, you know, my protective dad thing. I'm like, Nemo! You know, or Joshua. That's from Finding Nemo. But, uh, you know, I'm like, Joshua! And, uh, and all of a sudden, so I, I start swimming towards him. And out of my peripheral vision comes Hallie's boyfriend, J.C., to save the day. Perfect initials, by the way, J.C. Some of you are getting that. J.C. comes up, swims right up to Joshua, and I mean, J.C.'s getting pounded by this huge set of waves and just getting demolished, but gets Joshua on the front of his board there, and they, they end up getting pushed all the way into shore. J.C. sacrifices his whole surf session. They end up coming out, but he's spent, and I was like, you know, it's one thing for a kid to romantically like my daughter. But it's another thing when you're loyal to this family. I got back, and I've been like, Hallie, you can keep that guy. <laughs> and and, and uh, I want to talk about today something that I, I've never preached a sermon on because I was flying back this past weekend and just saying, like, Lord, what do you want, what do you want to speak? And this is the title I was given, The Nearly Extinct Quality of loyalty. The nearly extinct quality, or you could say characteristic of loyalty. In these past two years, since the COVID experience, since the incredible turmoil in our nation, we have seen more division. We have seen more factions. We've seen more splintering. We've seen more accusation. And I believe that there is a famine in our land of loyalty but the people of God have always been the ones who have been given a gift to be loyal like Jesus, our older brother, our Savior, is loyal to us. And I want to take that today and believe that God wants to sow something in our hearts. Will you receive that today? Amen. I want to look at the life of Jonathan and David because they are the, the prototypical story of loyalty. I was flying back from, from Paris a week and a half ago, and I was able to, to watch a movie that was highlighted because we're in the midst of the Olympics. It's about an Olympian. His name was Louis Zamperini, 
And he was actually an Olympic hero in World War II. He was from just up north of here, from Torrance. And the, the, if you've read the book, the book starts in this place where he's come back from the Olympics, and he is on a, a bomber plane uh, in the South Pacific, and the plane gets all shot up, and they end up crash landing in the Pacific Ocean, and he is, uh, just a couple of the guys make it in a life raft. They're stranded, they're out at sea for 45 days. So it's the world record of surviving in a life raft. And the, the, the book starts where they're in the life raft and they see a, a, a plane flying over after 45 days, thinking they're about to be rescued. They're trying to signal it down. The plane turns around and they're thinking, we're saved. But instead, what they didn't know, this was in World War II when we were fighting the Japanese. It's a Japanese plane. And so it starts shooting at the little life raft. And so he has to jump out of the life raft. As he jumps out, there are sharks that have been circling the life raft the whole time. So as he swims down to avoid bullets on this life raft that he's been on for 45 days and he's starving to death, sharks start attacking him. And he's having to punch sharks in the nose. And you're like, that's a bad day. And miraculously, he survives through that to be rescued by a boat that happens to be a Japanese army boat, so he's put in a concentration camp. And so he's beaten mercilessly. They find out he's an Olympian, so, so they are totally wanting to break his will. They're starving him. He's lost, uh, you know, scores of weight, and, and now he's being starved, and he's beat, being beaten mercilessly. And, and there's this scene where they actually take him. A, a nice car comes to take him from the prison camp, and they drive him to a media station, a radio station, and there are these very kind people in suits, and they sit him down at a table and are feeding him this incredible meal, and then he's looking, and he's seeing other U.S. officers sitting, and they're nicely dressed, where he's been completely beat up. They're nicely dressed, and they're sitting with these beautiful women, and so it's this totally appealing thing where these nicely dressed Americans are getting to fraternize with these beautiful women and they're having all the food. And the men, these two kind men, look at them and say, you can be out of concentration camp. You can have your nice clothes. You can live in this nice place. You can have all your food taken care of. You can have these beautiful women. If you'll just say these few words on radio. And he looks at the, at the sheet and he says, I can't do that to my country. Because it was anti-American propaganda. He's like, I can't say this against my country. And they say, you're going to regret that decision. And the next scene, they drive him back to the concentration camp. The commander of the concentration camp beats him and then has all 60 of the American prisoners of war come up and punch him in the face as hard as they can until his face is swollen, his eyes are completely shut, and he can't even stand up because he didn't say the words against America. And man, I looked at that and thought, that loyalty, that loyalty to a people is gone in this day and age. But I believe that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is wanting to resurrect a people who will be loyal again in a generation of division, dissension, and accusation. Jonathan and David, they're the prototypical story of a loyal friendship. Everyone wants a loyal friendship, but you've got to see in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan came, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Let me give you a little of the background. 
Saul was the king of Israel. He was a head and shoulders taller. He was this strong man, but he had deserted the Lord. Saul was leading Israel, and every day this Philistine giant named Goliath would come up to oppose the Israelites. Saul should have gone out and fought, fought him, but he was too fearful. So David, who this story that we just read is about, this little shepherd boy goes up, not with a sword, not with, with armor, but with a little slingshot and miraculously takes down the giant. And so what happens is all of Israel has gone mad. All of Israel is just going crazy over David, their hero, that just freed them from the Philistines because right after that, the Israelites went and they defeated the Philistines. And so the country's going crazy. And what Saul does is then he brings David into his home. Listen to this. It says, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This is just staggering because Saul is the king and Jonathan is his son. So Jonathan would be the rightful heir of the kingdom of Israel. But this little shepherd boy, David, had gone up and with a sling defeated the giant. And so all of a sudden, David is the hero. David's the hero that Jonathan, I'm sure, wanted to be. What little boy doesn't want to be like his dad, be the king, be the hero? David, though, is the hero. And now Saul the king takes David into his home. He takes him like as a second son. And this is what we start seeing is that loyalty says I love you even when you get what I want. Loyalty says I love you and I'm for you even when you get what I want. You see, Jonathan had everything to lose by being loyal to David. He had everything to lose. He had that special place in, in his father's presence. He had the, the kingship. He had the leader of the nation. He had, he had all the accolades of all the people. And yet it says he loved him out of himself. And then watch what Jonathan does because we're going to use this as an outline for our sermon today. It says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You see, loyalty is giving to someone else. Loyalty is giving what is yours to someone else. And I believe that those different gifts he gave, the, the robe and the tunic, the sword and the bow and the belt, they're actually prophetic of attributes or qualities of loyalty that we're going to unpack today. But first you have to understand, I love our country and I am loyal to our country. But just because God's hand is on our country and just because this is an amazing country, I've traveled the world, there's, there's no country like this, although I love the countries of the world, our country is not perfect. You see, can you be loyal to something that's not perfect? Can you be loyal to a person that's not perfect? Can you be loyal to a leader? Can you be loyal to a country? And one of the faults of our country is this over-exaltation of rugged individualism. And sometimes that fights against loyalty. And so our country, you know, we're the country that created the Lone Ranger. Or when I was a kid, you know, the new hero was Rambo, right? Or Rocky, right? They're, Sylvester Stallone just played all these kind of rugged individual characters. You know, for the, the, the later generation, it was Jason Bourne, this, this rugged individual that survives against all odds. I, I do believe that God is doing something. We can see it, this desire for community, and that the new hero is the Avengers that are all coming together, and that's powerful. But you see that 
Jonathan took something and gave to someone. So I want to look at these different attributes, these different items that he gave them. So we're going to look first at the robe and tunic. If you're taking notes today, write down robe and tunic. What is that? A robe and tunic, those are garments that actually cover. The, the Bible talks about loyalty as something that covers another person. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, we're living in a day and age where people are constantly trying to uncover each other. We whole, have whole, a whole industry, a whole part of the media is just about uncovering the faults of other people. Like we have gossip magazines. Reporters are constantly trying to break stories that uncover the faults in other people. And so I want you to look at this story. This is just absolutely amazing in the life of Noah. So most of us know Noah, and we think of Noah, and we're like, oh, what an awesome guy. Like, he had faith. He built an ark and had all these animals that, that, and, and saved humanity. But look what happens soon after the ark. Genesis 9, 20 through 23. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked, and he told his two brothers outside. So, you know, I don't know what Ham was thinking. I, I, he might have been thinking, like, everybody thinks dad's so awesome. You know, he has the biggest boat in town. He has the only boat in town. And, you know, he, he saves all the animals. And, but you know what? My dad has problems, right? He, he actually just got drunk, and now he's laying naked. And guys, I mean, you, you should see dad. What an old fool. He's laying there naked. But what does it say? But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. And if you look on, there's this blessing proclaimed on them for covering someone in the midst of his mess up. You know, why are we so quick to expose people? I believe it's because we're so insecure and we feel so inadequate. If we can tear someone else down, then we somehow think it makes us feel better about ourselves. And you see this blessing that come upon these two men. Because instead of going, I mean, don't we do that? We, we hear about someone that's fallen into sin and, you're, and, and we gawk at it. Well, you know what? I should get on the internet and study everything about how they just fell right? What, what, what is it in us? And then we talk about it. Yeah, I, just, I knew they weren't that great anyway. I just, I, I can't believe it. And the Lord's showing us, no, the honoring thing to do is to not even look at it, to back up and say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to cover our Father because no one is perfect. That's the whole message of the Bible is it's not that God uses perfect people. It's God's grace works in spite of our imperfection, now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to, to just cover over sin that hurts people. I'm not saying if you've been abused, if you've been molested, don't say anything about it. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. No, sin can really hurt people, and we need to bring those things out in the light, and we need to stop the people that are doing those evil things that are hurting people. That needs to be exposed. That needs to be brought to the light. But what I am saying is that spirit that's coming on the church, that every time anybody does anything wrong, that we attack them. That's not from the Lord. 
every man or woman of God used mightily for the kingdom had major faults in the Bible, and it's time for us to be the most grace-filled people. I hate it when people say, what's the first word when you think of when you think of Christians, and they say judgmental. I want to see a generation where they say, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Christians, and they'll say gracious, kind, forgiving. That's what people say of Jesus. One of my biggest regrets in... Uh, in high school, I was in student government, and um, we, we had this student government sponsor, I'll call her Mrs. P, and uh, she had done all this work to make student government just amazing at our high school, and it was like thriving, and, and we were known kind of around the region, and we would do all these, these dances and activities, and it, it was just incredible, but she had a character flaw, and that was she had a temper. So I'll never forget that we were, me and, and my friend Catherine were working at this table, and we ran out of the stuff we were selling for student government, so we got up to go get more, and as we got up, she saw us walking off, and she thought we were leaving our post, so she lit in to us. And I said, you don't do that to me. Well, that's what I thought in my, in my mind. And so I, I, I went home and told my parents, and I said, you need to come up and do something about that. And then I formed a group on student council to get her fired. And it worked. And I'll never forget the day that she was let go and the sorrow and pain in her. It's one of my deepest regrets of ending that. And so I thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm this great guy. I'm going to go find the nicest teacher, and we're going to have the nicest teacher for student, uh, student council and student government. And you know what? We put in this nice teacher, and two weeks later, that teacher jumped all over me and rebuked me like crazy. And I'm like, wait, what happened? I just put, I just exchanged a mean person for a nice person. Why are they still coming on me? And I realized I was a believer by now. I realized, oh, I think it's actually something in me. There's actually a problem with me. You know, God is, is, is wanting to raise up a generation who doesn't just demand grace for themselves, but extends grace to others. And that's what the robe and the tunic symbolize, was giving grace, extending grace, covering over other people with the same grace that you want to be given. The next thing I see in this story is he gives him a sword and a bow, a sword and a bow. These are actually proactive items. What does a sword do? What does a bow do? It pierces. It penetrates. And I love that Kendall spoke last week on healthy conflict. We don't, we're not taught much about healthy conflict growing up, but can I just tell you, a relationship is not a mature relationship until it endures conflict. Uh, anytime a young couple goes, we've never had a fight, then I'm like, then you've never been real. Me and my spouse, we've never had a fight. Then I'm like, well, then one of you's not being real because two people don't agree on every single thing and true love embraces someone when they disagree with you. And so, once a relationship goes through conflict and you make it through to the other side, that's when you know there's true commitment. Because I can agree with anyone who agrees with me every time I say anything. I can love anyone who's just always agreeing with me. But what about when someone sees life a little different than you? The Bible says this in Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We live in a generation 
where the second someone gives a thumbs down to something or dislikes something, we're like, you're out of my life. You're out of my life. But the Bible says only an enemy multiplies kisses. Jesus was betrayed by a kiss, but Jesus would actually speak the truth, confrontational truth, into the ones he loves. You wanna be like Jesus? Then confront in love your family and your friends when they're going into an activity or into an attitude that will hurt them. I would rather be wounded by a friend than be destroyed by the world. Right, parents? You would rather gently wound your children than let them be destroyed by the world. Please speak the truth in your kid's life. Please tell them no so then they don't end up running out in the street and getting hit by a car. Please speak the truth in love. We desperately need that. Listen to this. These, these are like the two godliest men living on earth right after Jesus has ascended. These are the two apostles. It says, when Cephas came to Antioch, or that's talking about Peter. Cephas was the other name for Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why was he speaking? Because he was doing something wrong. So Paul confronts Peter. For, more certain, uh, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles. So all of a sudden, there's this division in the church. And Peter, the leader of the whole church, I mean, that's where we got the Pope from, he's drawing back and he won't associate with Gentiles anymore. So Paul says, I went and opposed him to his face. I am so glad that Paul confronted Peter because now we can have a divided, yeah, instead of a divided church, we can have a together church of everybody on earth. Aren't you glad? That's awesome. But that wouldn't have happened if Paul wouldn't have said, I'm gonna confront Peter in love. And that's what we, we call it in this church, speak the truth in love. What does that mean? When someone does something wrong, you don't get on them and, and, and be like, you know, the other day you exaggerated and that makes you a liar, Hudson. And so, you know, lying is from Satan, so you're like Satan. That's not the way... That's not the way we confront someone, right? What, what do I do? How do I confront Hudson? I say, Hudson, hey, I want to talk to you about something because I love you. And, man, God's hand is on you. Like, as a young leader, God is just moving through you. So I, I, I want to bring up something because you said something that I, don't, I think you probably didn't even want to say. But, you know, you said you were surfing on a 40-foot wave. And there's no 40-foot waves in Coronado. And... And, and so, you know, it's just exaggeration, and man, we're, we're, you know, you're speaking a lot, and I think it'll be better if you don't exaggerate. And, and, and then Hudson, it's because I love you, and I see God's hand on your life, and you're a great communicator. Right? What did I just do there? I, I, I gave Hudson a sandwich. I gave him encouragement, what I see in his life, I'm for you. I gave him a rebuke. Hey, that was, that was exaggeration, and, 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 and that's not good. And then I gave him, hey, because I believe in you, this is why I'm bringing this. Right, we're speaking the truth in love. Some of you are like, hey, don't give me the sandwich, just give me the meat, right? Just give, just give, no. You know why I give a sandwich? Because God created the sandwich. You, you read the Bible and God is like a big sandwich chef. He comes to Israel, he's like, Israel, I love, read it. Israel, I loved you with an undying love. You are the apple of my eye but you have turned to idols and, idol and idolatry, and so I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going, I, I'm going to chastise you, but I'll never desert you, and you are my people, and I will redeem you and restore you. God is the author of the confrontational sandwich. 
And we can receive confrontation. We can receive uh, critique when we know we're loved, when we know it's to build us up and not to destroy us and tear us down. I'm so glad that people have done that in my life. And I invite my staff to do that to me. And, and, and we, need, we need the truth spoken to us in love. Let me go to the last one. Lastly, Jonathan hands him a belt. So he's given him a, a robe and tunic to cover him. He's given him a sword and a bow and that, that pierces us. That's speaking the truth in law. That's the iron sharpening iron to make us more sharp. We don't get more sharp just by someone clucking over us and just saying, oh, you're so amazing. That doesn't sharpen us. What changes us and sharpens us is when people will actually be lovingly abrasive. But lastly, he gives them a belt. He gives them a belt. What does a belt do? A belt holds things together. A belt holds them up. Like one of the, the most horrific things is when I come to preach and I forget my belt. Oh, that makes you feel so vulnerable because, you know, your pants start sagging and you're like, oh, my gosh, and my pants are falling down. I mean, have you ever not had a belt? It's so awkward, right? You're, oh. A belt is committed to holding things together. A belt is committed to holding people up. This is an amazing story in the life of, of David and Jonathan. We're going to look at 2 Samuel. We're moving to the end of the story. Now, here's what happened. Saul had walked away from God, and, and so God disciplined Israel by having enemies come against them for years, and eventually Saul and Jonathan die. It's tragic. God's raised up David to be the new king, and this is what new kings would do throughout antiquity. This isn't just Israel. This was like every kingdom. You'll read these stories in history. When a new king would arise and he was from a new family line, they would always kill all of the family members of the old king so no one could come and have a coup against the new king, so no one would have a rightful bloodline claim on the throne. But you see, David doesn't do this. And you got to understand that different people in Israel, they kept trying to divide. They kept, they kept trying to raise up people from Saul's line and said, David, he's a counterfeit king. We're going to raise up someone of Saul. You know the enemy always tries to divide us? Can I tell you, when, when, when out of pain you divide from your family and, and say no more, and, and now listen to me, I'm not talking about when you have to get safe distance from abuse or molestation. But what I am talking about is when we just get our feelings hurt or we just get angry and we just cut people out of our life, that's never from God. It's never from God. God's heart is always to restore. God's heart is always to bring back together. God's heart is always unity. And so what does David do? David says this in 2 Samuel 9. He's becoming king and he says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So Jonathan had been loyal to David, even when he had nothing to gain from it, and it changed David. I mean, David ended up creating the greatest group of loyal people in Israel in its history. Why? Because he was given loyalty. And so what does David do? Instead of saying, I'm going to go kill people in Saul and Jonathan's line, he says, is there anyone I can just show kindness to? Watch this. It says this. So, so he goes and asks this servant, Ziba, this is in 9, 1 through 7. Is there anyone still alive? And Ziba says, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel in Lodabar. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. David says, don't be afraid. Why is he afraid? Because what kings would do is just bring the, the old family line and kill him right in front of their eyes. And so David said, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I believe God is raising up a generation of people that will be so loyal to their friends that that loyalty goes on to their kids and their kids and their kids, that God is raising up a generation who's gonna be loyal to his house, to his church, to his family, when all the world's saying, you've messed up, you've blown it, it's too late for you, that they'll say, it's never too late because of the grace of God, I'm only here because of the grace of God, so I'm going to give grace back to you. I'm committed because you're God's family, and you're part of my family, and I'm here for you. And so what does David do? I mean, Mephibosheth is a picture of the church because Mephibosheth had been dropped in, 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 in a time where there was a raiding of, of the kingdom of Israel. Mephibosheth was dropped, and he was injured. In a time of crisis, he was injured. Wow. Sounds like us. Sounds like the church after COVID. Sounds like the church after this day and age. And so he's hurting and he's broken. And he doesn't have much to give. But what does David do? He says, I'm going to be loyal to you, not because of what you can give me, but because you, to me, are family. You, to me, you're the child of my friend. And so you've done nothing, but I'm gracious to you. It's time to be a, a people of graciousness, not because people deserve it, not because people can give us something, but because Jesus has been gracious to us. Mephibosheth is a picture of the gospel. If we're waiting for people to be perfect, for us to be loyal to them, then you'll just keep waiting until you die because you're never gonna find the perfect friend. You're never gonna find the perfect leader. You're never gonna find the perfect church. You're never gonna find the perfect nation. The Bible says this, that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you have one that's been loyal to you when you could do nothing. One time my pastor, he said to me, he goes, you know, Robert, loyalty is, is one of the, the, the qualities you care most about. Like it's, it, it's, it's what you, you think about and, 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 and what you, you live for. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because that's what your life taught you. Because you see, when I was 13 years old, I had a heart condition that almost killed me. And I'd be rushed to the hospitals in an ambulance and I could do nothing. I was in excruciating pain and I was stuck on a hospital bed and I was stuck with IVs and then they even moved me from my city. But you know, I learned loyalty because my mother even left her city and, and while I would be in a comfortable hospital bed, she would be sleeping hunched over in a chair next to me. And yes, she was dealing with anxiety and she, was, she, she got stripped from everything in her life, but she would sit there with me and stay by me and hold my hand and pray for me and she'd never leave me. And I learned that it didn't matter how hard it got for her, she would never leave me or forsake me. And I learned the heart of God through that parental love. And you know what breaks my heart is some of you didn't experience that. Some of your parents left 
Some of you, when it got hard, they left for, for, for someone else or, or they went and did their own thing. But can I tell you that you have a father that will never leave you or forsake you? He says, though you will be unfaithful, I will be faithful because God cannot be a liar. That he demonstrates his love that while you were at your worst, he gave you his son. And he says he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And until we learn how loyal Jesus is to us, we can never give loyalty back. But he wants you to know that. I, I want to honor, I want to finish my time by, by just honoring a group that was, was so loyal, you know, in the, in the midst of such pain, in the midst of such a hard year, and there was, there was, there was racial pain and, and ethnic pain, and, and God gave to us a gift, a gift of, 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 that Lisa helped lead out of our inclusion team, Nick and Ashley, that was in the last service, and Paul, and these guys worked tirelessly in the midst of a, a season where the world was becoming more paralyzed, and more and more people were, 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 were casting uh, uh, accusation against each other. They prayed for us, and they stood with us, and they met for hours with different people. And, and I, I remember talking to Lisa, and she said something, and it was exactly my heart for, for her and for them. She said, you know, Robert, we trust you not because you're perfect, but we trust you because first and foremost, you're committed to Jesus. And we trust you because we know you'll do whatever he says, no matter what it costs. And to which I was able to say, you know, that's why I trust you, is because you're committed to Jesus, and you're committed to his people, first and foremost. And, and you know, uh, as, a, as a white male, I'll never understand. I, I have friends, many friends that I've sat and talked with. I have family members in my immediate family on both sides that are ethnic minorities. But I'll never understand what it's like to be an ethnic minority. And so because of that, I say things that are not always the most sensitive. Or I'll do things. Or our, our church might not always reflect what actually is God's heart or what we want to do, although we are trying and although it's very important and we're committed. But what I so appreciate about from Lisa and the team was the grace of saying we want to be the belt. Instead of demanding perfection, we're loyal to Jesus and loyal to the church, the people of God, and so we want to bring things together. And I believe that's a prototype of what God's calling us all to be in this generation because the world, like never before, is dividing into factions. And the world is getting into groups and the world is casting stones. And I believe the world will marvel when the church becomes gracious and the church becomes loyal and says, even when you're not perfect, I still love you. Even when you say hurtful things, I still embrace you. Why? Because we have one king and his name is Jesus and he is ultimately the loyal one. And we only have one family. There's only one choice. It's the church of Jesus Christ in the world, called to heal, save, redeem, restore, and renew. Church, God's calling us to be a loyal people. And my question is, will we go on that journey and let Jesus love us so that the same gracious love we receive, we can give to others? Why don't we stand up?